It is one of the things about radio, isn't it? It conveys emotion in a way that really no other media manages. The great thing about radio is its intimacy. You can't just sit in front of the radio with your mouth open, you know, popping cheesies in, you know. That's, <laughs> you know, you've got to kind of engage with it a little bit. I, I think it's, it is not passive. They have chosen me at that moment. I'm Louisa Lim. I'm a journalist, author, podcaster and a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne. I've been in journalism for 23 years. Today, I'm going to give you a masterclass on the power of audio. Hello and welcome to the masterclass. There's something so scary about the start of each assignment. You're sitting at your computer. In front of you, you've got a blank document, an empty sound card. You're feeling this rising sense of panic and you just don't know what to do first. Everybody's been there, no matter how long you've spent in journalism. Well, here on the Masterclass, we're going to try and guide you through the process. We're going to try and give you some tools to figure out what to do first, and we're going to go to the best in the business to get their advice. I'm Anoush Samarodi, your guide to this accelerating world, and note to self. Robert Smith, NPR News. Hey, Natasha Mitchell here. Welcome to Science Friction. Good morning and welcome to RN Summer Breakfast. Hamish McDonald here with you. We're going to be talking to the big names, but we're also going to be talking to the -the behind-the-scenes people who are just as important. Every week we're going to have one guest who's going to guide us through one aspect of audio journalism, whether it be writing for radio, interviewing or using sound. This week we're starting off with thinking about what makes audio so special. To start with, a confession from me. When I started in journalism, I really wasn't at all interested in audio. I just thought it wasn't my medium. I was interested in print. I liked the idea of big headlines, that concrete achievement, that ink-on-your-fingers tactile thing, and audio just seemed really ethereal. So I went into newspapers. But over the years, I just ended up where the jobs took me. So I did TV, I did online, and I did radio. And I worked for the BBC, and then I worked for NPR. And I discovered that radio had become my passport. So it took me to Tibetan monasteries high on the plateau, where monks chanted and the slightly rancid smell of yak butter hung in the air. It also took me to the Mongolian plains where I watched a child jockey sing before this massive horse race. At the start line, the jockeys whooped as they began to gallop. We were driving in a jeep beside the horse race and there was this burly horse trainer who was practically sitting in my lap as he screamed instructions out of the window at his child jockey who was galloping beside us. Oh my goodness. It also took me to a military parade in Pyongyang, North Korea. As the troops marched past, we could actually feel the ground shaking under our feet. At the end, there were these 
crowds who were roaring and they were waving these pink and red paper flowers. Right opposite me, there was a man and he was weeping as he cheered and he didn't even stop to wipe his face. Maybe he wasn't allowed to. But watching him, those perfectly coordinated cheers began to sound so sinister. I don't know if there was a specific moment when things changed, but over the years I suddenly found that I just loved radio. I found that my radio stories were doing things that my print stories had never done. So one example is I did a story for the BBC about a construction worker called Gao Mingyu, and he came to Beijing and he brought all the men from his village to Beijing to work on a construction project, and none of them got paid, so none of them could go home. And this kind of thing is quite common in China. It's not an unusual story, but when he told the story, he wept. And the listeners were so moved that they kept sending in money, more and more money. And in the end, they sent in so much money that Gao Mingyu and his whole village of men, they could all go home. That kind of thing never happened in my print stories. But radio, really good radio, is all about emotion. That's something that really came across when I was talking to Robert Smith. Uh, He was telling me about his favourite radio moment, and that was when his show, Planet Money, launched a rocket into space. The one that I've just, like, been obsessing over recently is when we just launched this rocket, and it was super difficult. Like, I knew there's only one shot (laughs) at recording myself when the rocket goes off, right? You can't... (laughs) You can't fake it. You can't script it. Um, it's very difficult to mic. And it's basically me freaking out, along with Stacey Vanek Smith, who is my co host for the show. But uh, it was such a delightful moment. It was just like two people so amazed at this thing going off. And it's hard because when you're amazed at something, you almost don't want to say anything. But of course, your job is to say something, <laughs> you know? So I was sort of forcing myself to talk. And it was just sort of the the crucial moment of our series about launching a satellite, and I think it worked. Five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. I don't hear anything. Vehicle is clear of the tower. Humvees are disconnected. Whoa, 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 it's so bright. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. Oh, it's shooting up so fast. Oh, you can There's barely like stare at it. There's a flame behind it. Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa, it's hard to look at it. Attitude remains nominal of the Caster 120. Stage zero motor propels the 104-foot-tall Minotaur C vehicle away from Vandenberg Air Force Base. That looks successful. I don't know. Audio is really hard because it's so personal. After all, it's your voice in people's ears. There's nothing to hide behind. And that does make it very challenging. You're always worrying about how you sound. And that kind of worry never goes away, no matter how much you've done. But I think there's an upside as well. And that's something that Manoush Zamarodi from WNYC talked about. She talked about how in this age of streaming and podcasting, nobody needs to listen to anything. So the act of listening, well, that's a choice. 
it is not passive. And when are they mostly listening to me? When they're on the go. So I go with them to the gym. I go with them to the grocery store. I go, it's, it's a solitary, it's a one-on-one thing. And so I think there's a, a relationship. Also, you're mostly listening with earbuds. And I think that makes a difference too. I'm sure, you know, intimacy is the word you always hear related to podcasts. And I just think it's true. Um, people often say to me, I think of you, oh, it's my friend Manoush. And no one ever said that to me when I was a radio reporter. When you talk about audio, there's just one word that you keep hearing time and time again. Radio has an intimacy that other media don't. It's all in the voice. Not that, you know, it's cliche to say, but the power, the intimacy of the voice and what, what you can convey without explaining, you know, the showing and not the telling is, is really powerful in audio. The great thing about radio is its intimacy. You know, you're in people's bedrooms when they wake up in the morning or you're in their car with them as they're driving to work or they might even be today in their headphones. Intimacy. One reason that audio is so intimate is that it's a shared act of creation, shared between the speaker and the listener. With television, everything is there. All you need to do is look. But with really great radio, there are gaps, and the listener needs to do some of that work to fill in the gaps with their imagination. You're helping the listener paint pictures in their mind. And as Neil Rizel from the BBC points out, that's a power move. Yeah, I just thought it was incredibly powerful. And and something I don't think you could possibly even do in television. You know, I think this is this is where where radio or audio really excels because it forces you to imagine what's happening. And that's I think that's more powerful. It's the the space for the imagination that really Exactly. Because you have to do some of the work as well. And I think that's why it's so powerful. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, you you can't and you know, I'll I'll say from experience, just sit in front of the radio with your mouth open, you know, popping cheesies in, you know. That's <laughs> you know, you've got to kind of engage with it a little bit. Have you tried? <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. You just it doesn't work. You know, where's the television that works? You can just sit there. Uh, uh. The beauty of radio is really giving your interviewees voice, letting them tell their story for themselves. That's the strategy that Natasha Mitchell from the ABC uses all the time. Isn't that the gift of radio? That unlike writing for print where you, the author, the journalist, you've got to put all the words down. In radio, you've got sound and voice to work with. You've got all these other elements. And that's the power of radio, that other things can tell the story for you. The actual people who have the lived experience can tell the story for you. So how do you get that intimacy? One way is telling smaller stories, stories that people can really identify with, even though they might be set in places a million miles away from people's everyday life. And that's one of the things that I really love about Ear Hustle, which is a podcast set in a medium security jail. It's executive produced by Julie Shapiro from Radiotopia. We don't think about that traditional storytelling, you know, where's the arc, where's the where's the resolution, where's the change in the character, because a lot of these stories are really about the, the smaller moments, the day-to-day life. Building those mental pictures really takes detail. As a listener, I don't just want to know what it looks like. I want to know what it smells like, what it sounds like, everything that's happening. And sometimes you really need to concentrate on the tiny details because they tell the story. 
was a little One Chinese New Year, I went to a Miao Minority Festival in southern China. It was a village where people sing to find partners. Singing is almost like their swipe right. I was sitting there and listening to this 48-year-old widow singing to a widower who was sitting beside her. And the thing that struck me was her eyes were closed. She was facing away from him and she never looked at him once. All of her emotion was in her voice. It's those kind of tiny details that really transport a listener to another place, perhaps a place far away from their everyday experience. Hamish MacDonald, who's been an overseas correspondent for ABC Australia for many years, uses this all the time when he tries to tell stories. When I think about it, I don't think about the firefights that I witnessed or the suicide bombings or anything like that. I think about the women going out to buy bread in the neighbourhood where I lived. I think about the kids on the hilltop flying kites when I would go up there in the afternoon or I would think about my morning jogs up the hill and the people I would come across and the people just trying to eke out an existence in those places that are war-torn and... For me anyway, I think you learn so much more about what those conflicts mean when you start to understand that stuff, that a kid goes out to fly a kite in an afternoon in Afghanistan while bombs are going off. And in Aleppo, a mother who is an obstetrician at a hospital where people are coming in with limbs blown off who could die at any moment is worried about the fact that her daughter wants a banana. So another way of getting that intimacy is to think about your listeners not as a mass but as discrete people. So you're thinking about a specific listener and you're talking to that person. When I worked for the BBC, my listener, the listener in my head, it was always my mum who's a retired Latin teacher and she likes gardening and she reads newspapers. But then I moved to NPR and the listener in my head changed. It was no longer my mum. I know this sounds crazy, but I used to think about someone in Ohio in their kitchen making pancakes. It was a busy person, kind of a sceptical person. And I had to really convince them that this story that I was telling, this was worth their time. And I had to make them listen so they wouldn't flip the dial and turn me off. Finding that listener can really help in knowing how to write and what to say And it's something that Hamish MacDonald does think about as well. I love that in radio, it's intimate. When I first started in radio, a boss said to me, think about the person you're talking to at home. And my beloved aunt always used to have ABC radio on in the living room. And I loved my aunt. She passed away a few years ago, um, Auntie Hev. But when I think of ABC radio, I think of Auntie Hev. And so when I'm on air, I still think a bit about talking to Auntie Heather. And she had a great, curious mind. She was a fierce intellect. She loved a debate. I never knew what her politics really were uh, because she, you know, she just had a critical mind and a great appetite for knowledge and understanding. And she also had a great sort of um, independent and inquiring instinct. And so when I'm on radio, 
I feel connected to my auntie Heather and I, I love those conversations. And even though she's not around anymore, I feel like I carry on the conversation with her by conducting all these interesting interviews about anything in the world uh, on, on Radio National. That was the thing that surprised me the most about working in audio. I'd always thought of it as so fleeting. But you know what? That's not true. Great audio grabs you and it holds you and it stays with you. It stays with you far longer than stories that you read in the newspapers or see on TV. And partly that's because of the act of imagination that's required. I still get people coming up who remember small details of stories that I did years ago. One example. I went to a funeral in southwestern China where there was a professional mourner and she was paid to mourn. She had strobe lighting in the background, moving music. But the thing was, she was so good at her job that she made everybody cry. As she mourned, the words, the phrases that she used were so moving. She was saying things like, you were a tall tree sheltering your kids from wind and rain. We never thought you'd leave so soon. Everybody who was there was in tears. And when I got back to my office, every time that I listened to it, I wept. And my assistant did too. We'd just sit there in floods of tears. But that's the thing about audio. Those voices in your ear, they stay with you because you remember how they made you feel. And that's the power of radio. Okay, here are two top tips about the power of audio. Number one, think about who's listening and talk to that person directly. It's a relationship and you need to work at it. You need to write for that person. You need to woo them. You need to keep them interested. They need to know why they're listening and you need to keep making that case over and over again with every sentence you write. Number two, listen and then listen more. Listen as much as you can to all kinds of radio shows and podcasts, but listen critically. How could that piece have been better? If you were making that piece, what would you have done differently? What worked and why? It's the only way to develop an ear for sound and a taste for adventures in sound. And now I'm going to set you a task as well. Find a favourite piece of audio. Maybe it was something you heard on the radio, what they call in the States a driveway moment. It should be around a minute or maybe less. Listen to it and write down how it makes you feel and try and figure out why it makes you feel that way. Over the next 12 weeks, we're going to talk to some of the best in the business and we're going to ask them to share their secrets. So do keep listening. Masterclass is produced and edited by Buffy Gorilla and Ruby Schwartz. It's recorded in the Hallwood Recording Studio by Gavin Neighbour. The original concept is by Anders Furs. Our theme tune is by Susie Wilkins. And it's all brought to you by the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. Thanks for listening. Listener.